right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Fired up for today, man, because today we get to peel back a couple layers of what I think is one of the coolest and most amazing sort of business models, um, kind of a new restoration industry. I mean, a lot of people have been doing it, but you know, you, you see this massive explosion in the industry and what's going on. It's been really cool to sit back and watch. i got a really good buddy who's re- tied into it. What I'm talking about is the explosion of Japanese 70s and early 80s motorcycles. Like, Kev, you rode one or three or five. I know. I know you got the old Yamaha or Honda, you know, back in the memory banks. Um, for me, man, I grew up on a, you know, my dad owned a, a 77 KZ1000, a 78 KZ1000. Uh, he owned several of those cars so it, or those bikes. And it was funny because it's 15, 16, when I had my permit, that's what I was riding around. So I was on a motorcycle really early on, had an MR50 as a little kid, um, always did a bunch of trail riding out on the farm. You know, it just led me doing a, you know, my motocross thing, became a pro motocross racer. I raced street bikes for a, a number of years. I've always loved bikes, but there's something about that 70s era bike and that early 80s stuff. Dude, it is just sassy. It's cool. It's vintage. I love it, man. Well, you know, what's cool about it is because that was like the age of impression. You know, those were our first experiences. That's what we got our hands on. That's what we had our memories around. And, uh, you know, I'm sure every time you see one of these older bikes, uh, you're getting flashbacks, you know, being out on the farm, doing some little donuts, uh, maybe your first yeah. crash, maybe your first air, you know, racing your buddy on his whatever. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's just awesome for any, you know, because we love the old cars. We love the old motorcycles. Uh, yeah, so but. to see them get another life uh, and to see, uh, you know, new folks that maybe didn't have those same memories and experiences that we did kind of almost see them for the first time. And, and you know, they're coming up from a different perspective. But, you know, to see just other people appreciate them as well is always fun. Yeah. Plus, you know, the, the vintage stuff is so in right now. Even the new bikes 
have that vintage look. You see a lot of them going back to that older styling because it was so cool, unique. You know, there were certain, you know, bikes that were a little more rudimentary. You know, the side springs, the exhaust that you burn your, your calf on all the time. You know, the old four-to-one headers, the carburetors, the, you know, the old velocity stacks, you know, and the cool pegs, straight bars, the cool flashy tanks. It was all part of it, man. Um, for me, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I always saw my dad riding that bike. So when I got, you know, old enough to throw my leg over it, man, I couldn't, I could not wait, dude. It was so cool. Um, and it, it really, you know, it, it sprung me to getting a bunch of those bikes. I had an OGS 1100 and um, yeah. still have a couple of those old bikes even now, even some of the old dirt bikes that I rode as a kid. So for me, seeing this massive explosion in this industry, I don't know how many people I've known and, you know, throughout my years, they've been like, Willie, I got this old bike I found or it's in the shop or a lot of car enthusiasts have one of these stuffed in their garage, their shop. What do you do with it? Where do you send it? Because 99% of the motorcycle shops, when you roll in there nowadays, you know, they won't work on any of the old stuff. They're like, oh, man, I won't touch it if it's, you know, older than 2010, you know, forget about it. You know, if it's before 2000, I won't touch it. Well, where do you go? Where do you find parts? There is an exploding network. There's an amazing restoration shop probably not too far from you. If not, um, take note because the guy that we're going to bring on has an amazing one, an incredible network. Um, he is doing some some really just massive movement in this industry and, and where these bikes are, are going. It's, it's crazy to see the demand and see the people just can't get their hands on enough of them. And like anytime you see one, it's the talk of the town. It's the talk of the bar, the restaurant, wherever you're at. Yeah, you know, there's this natural cycle with, with you know, everything old coming back new, right? It's It's got to almost, well, one, inspire you at the moment, right? So it, it, it's got those memories, connections, and whatnot. Uh, but it almost has to go so far to where you're not seeing them anymore. Because at some point, you probably got tired of them. Like, yeah, whatever, that's an 82, whatever. It's a 77. I've seen those. But almost to a point where it's like, man, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody's garage door opens and you're like, whoa, 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 what is that in there? You know, or somebody cruises up, you know, on bike night or something with something wickedly awesome and old. And you're like, dude, I haven't seen one of those in forever. And all of a sudden, you know, I think it just creates these waves of, uh, you know, whatever is in our heads that, man, I might not be able to see many more of these things. And I, I think I'm at the end, but I really didn't want it to be over. And let's bring it back again. And here we are, full circle, right? Bringing back a lot of these Good old times, good memories. My, my neighbor uh, next to me has got uh, two mini trails. And, you know, he's, he's had them forever. And it's the same thing. Like, you, you know, you, you, you're sitting on something for a long time. And you're like, well, I probably ought to get rid of it. Or I could restore it. And that's exactly, he's restored. Like, you know, this guy's 54 years old. And he's restoring completely a little mini trail. 50, you know, top to bottom and having a blast. Finding all the chrome and the seat and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, it could be a fun little restoration project for people or a giant headache where they want to go and find the expert to chase down all those hard to find parts, yeah, you know, exactly, so man. pick your poison. Well, do me a favor. We got to take a break. Go look online. Food dog moto, the man behind it. Carson Allen joins us next on the podcast. You talk about a network. You talk about Japanese bikes, getting a whole new love, uh, and a whole new life. Man, that is some unbelievable subject matter. We'll dive in next on the Two Guys Garage Podcast. Kevin Bird, Willie B. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We have my boy Carson Allen on Food Dog Moto, the name of his restoration shop. 
I got to tell you, making waves out in Colorado. Um, hey, Carson, welcome to the podcast, my friend. And at what point did you realize there was a huge demand for bringing these old bikes back to life, man? Because, wow, you talk about something you stumbled upon that is a big hit. You found it here. You know what, man? I, I, I've been flipping bikes for many, many years. My, my life before uh, Food Hog was, I was a traveling musician, so I was on the road constantly. And, uh, you know, you're only making money when you're on the road. So in between tours, I find these bikes. You know, I, I've pretty much forever, I've known that if you get a CB350, do a little bit of work to it, you can flip that thing and double your money. That's the, you know, the, the kind of bike that everyone grew up seeing or wanting, or, or their dad had that as their first bike. And I just found that that was the bike that I think caused the most ripples throughout the internet when I would post photos of it or kind of send out some text. And it just, it turned into something. Um, it was, it was my number two love, you know, music was my first. And then I had a kid and that lit something in me where it's like, I need to pay the bills more than music's doing. And this, uh, <laughs> you know, this has been my number two passion and man, I just, um, as far as seeing the explosion of it go, that's, it's been a surprise for me. I've always been drawn to these bikes and I've always wondered why the excitement in the market hasn't been there. Maybe like it has with the British bikes or the European bikes in the collector market. And, uh, so I, I just, you know, I, I know I'm not, creating my own path by any means there's other guys doing this but my focus was uh let me just just resurrect as many of these bikes as i can and bring it back and try to like create my own hype around them and we're doing that here in denver and but it's been nuts to see too on you know uh, for everything from mecham to just the, the facebook groups and this and that the prices these bikes are going for is nuts because we grew up just getting a lot of these things you know in in trade deals back in the farms and stuff and now yeah, a couple hundred bucks here and there Exactly. And now you got to get a loan for some of these bikes. If you, <laughs> crazy. Hey, you really do, man. But dude, you stumbled upon something with your network and being able to resource so many of these bikes, parts, pieces. Um, there is definitely a massive demand of people wanting to restore them. People want to drive them again uh, to have a piece of that nostalgia. And it's it's shocking to see how many of the, the small to mid bikes are striking huge chords with the youth population and the demographic in so many cities across the country. Like, man, it doesn't get my, I don't care if it's daddy's money, my money. I want that 1970, you know, six, um, you know, Suzuki 350 or, um, you know, an O2 stroker. I mean, dude, the demand is through the roof. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, we're living in this day and age where we're seeing just like, shh, I don't know if I can cuss or not. <laughs> bad recreations of, of cool <laughs> periods of time. And I feel like they're just falling short time and time again. And, you know, this is a, it's a stylish area era and everyone's wanting to be, you know, everybody's wanting to individualize in this day and age. And that's why I think with the youth, you know, there's a huge, the vintage market in general is crazy. The vintage shoe game. I didn't even know that existed until my wife was like, Oh yeah, you should get some vintage shoes. And I'm like, what it's, that's a that's a world and so you know now it's same thing with, <laughs> thing with motorcycles it's like you know a lot of people are living in the city and you can get a small little you know 125 175 or even like these trail 90s are a big deal right now and if you live in an apartment you can roll that up onto your deck and still you know live in the city and have a form of transportation you look cool and you're not paying for parking it's just it's a win-win all around it's it's a cool time for uh for this industry for sure you think outside the cities there's as much demand? Because, I mean, you, you really brought some good points because I was thinking about some of the smaller bikes, right? 350s and unders, 125s. Uh, and I think a lot of those 
smaller, almost we think of scooter Vespa type bikes are kind of popular. And I think, um, you know, depending on where you live, man, if I got to get on the freeway, I'm not riding a 125, you know, or something like that. But, um, you know, like you said, in the city, you're doing great because you got so many opportunities to zip around. Um, Bird, it, ask, him, ask him how he ruled Sturgis this year. All right, small town. You, <laughs> you know how you rule Sturgis? You pull up on a what? You pull up on a 1973 Honda CB350F, the four-cylinder model, and it was green, too. I, I was going to roll up on a black one. I was like, nope. I need to stand out as much as I could and do it in a sea of, because you're, if you're going to buy a brand new motorcycle, what are you going to get? You're going to get either a road glide or a street glide and black because blacks, nothing's cooler than black. And that's what everybody thought. So this, in the sea of black baggers, this green little CB350, dude, it was the star of the show. I'd leave stickers on the seat. We'd park it on the strip. I'd leave stickers on the seat, come back and they were gone. And there'd be a crowd of people taking pictures and everyone's saying, man, my dad had that bike. Her very first motorcycle I ever rode was that bike. And it's, it's, you know, there's, there's so many angles of what I'm doing with this business, but preserving the past is really my focus. You know, I take, I take honor in, in knowing that like, we're going to find these bikes. Maybe it's, maybe this was going to be the last winter and they were going to be gone, to, you know, for good. The, the roof was going to give in and that was going to be it for that bike. That's, you know, that's what drives me. And so I know that these bikes, we put enough love and care and attention to detail into them that they're never going to go back to the state they were before. And dude, that is so awesome to like be able to do that. Hey, and, and Bert, I know for a fact I'll drive my 2015 Yamaha VMAX, savage looking motorcycle, matte gray, nasty. And I'll drive my, my 1980 LTD uh, 1100. I got straight bars on it. I got a little front headlight fairing and a little fairing right down by the exhaust. But it's got that look, that old vintage Kawasaki yep. tank pinstripe. I'll get more people asking about that dumb LTD than I will my VMAX. It's crazy. Big, small, medium, Kawasaki, Honda, Suzuki, Yamaha. I feel like they're all in a big demand um, and, and they're all sought after. And whatever your application is, to find one old school that fits it is key. Yeah, so how many people are wanting restoration? Like you said, you're, you're all about, you know, keeping the history alive. Um, how many people are looking for restorations in the sort of the original sort of look, vibe, and everything? And how many want custom stuff done? Because, you know, there was a big wave a few years ago of cafe racers, right? So people were taking their, you know, try to find a Honda CB350, um, you know, and some of those waves that somebody wasn't already carving up and turning into a cafe bike. Um, you know, so gladly there's a whole bunch still left that you can get access to, but what's kind of the take right there? Are we, are we staying original? You know, I, I'm a yes guy. If it's going to keep people on these motorcycles and like, you know, it's a, to me, I, I try to say it's about the engine itself. Like, you know, when we do, if we do a custom job, it's how do we at least showcase that engine to look beautiful? I personally am. I, you know, I want the old man mirrors and all the turn signals. And I want to ride this thing, feeling it, you know, feeling like the same way that the original owner did when this thing came out of the factory to me personally, my crew, I've got like chopper dudes, like my business partner, Derek, he has a CB 750 chopper that he's had like forever. And it's a, uh, you know, like a 76 or something like that. And then we've got our cafe dudes in the shop. So we really do. I mean, if someone wants a cafe, as long as the platform has a vintage soul to it, we'll do it. You know, I'm not definitely not cutting up anything new or, or we don't even really wrench on anything newer, but yeah, there's, there's still a lot of, uh, there still is that demand for that. You know, I want to make this bike my own as far as the restoration side of it. 
I have a lot of people that come in where I'll tell them, man, this, this patina on this bike, like you can, we can paint it to look like it did. And there's a million bikes that are going to look like that, but what nature and the environment did to this bike. I think that's beautiful. So there's a lot of times people come in, you know, trying to do a restoration and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of talk them past whatever they've worked up in their head to show them. They're like, this bike is beautiful. All of these little scratches are a memory. Like, don't you want to, like I sit there and speculate, like, how did that get there? You know, like (laughs) some of these bikes when, you know, if it's a dirt bike, tons of these dirt bikes. And it's like, you can tell someone took a dump on that. And it's like, you know, it reminds me of my friends and I growing up, like after the weekends, we'd go to school and then show each other all like the burns on our inner legs. Like Willie was oh, yeah, man. Or, like <laughs> our scars from that weekend when we were dumping our dirt bikes. And, you know, I sailed 30 feet that time and you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, so what have you seen? You know, walk us through what's what's kind of hot, what's not, what sizes. Um, obviously, you mentioned vintage dirt bikes. I, I've got a, all kinds of those. I've, I've been addicted to getting those every, every chance I see. Um, it it is amazing to see the demand out there and the demographic. There's such a widespread, it's not like it's the, the 40 year old guy or the 50 year old guy remembering what he, he had, you know, that, that lone day as a a sophomore in high school. It's, it's amazing whether you're young twenties, a hipster, whether you're a little bit older, boomer, Gen Z, whatever, it really, it's amazing to see everybody loves these bikes. Everybody wants one. Everybody wants to see them back on the road. What do you feel like is is kind of the hot bike to get your hands on right now? Um, what are ones that you keep an eye out, and what do you see in this industry as being like the the go tos, sizes, brands, uh, and type bikes? Man, so really any of like the CBs we've talked about, uh, anything from like the late '60s to late late '70s. You know, you start to get into the '80s there, and they started to. Uh, you know, electronic ignitions and, and testing with other little things. And I feel like that's where it kind of lost its, its soul. So I, you know, anything really kind of like mid eighties and earlier. So you got from Honda, Honda is going to be your top dog, bringing in the most dollar on everything. Um, the CBs, the SLs, the CLs. So I've got word, I'm probably going to get in trouble for even saying this, but uh, there's talk at Honda about them re-releasing the CL line, which is the high pipe scrambler style. Yeah. And yeah. And every time Honda does a re-release, it just kicks up this super excitement for all the, the old bikes. So I've been buying everything CL that I possibly can. If it's got the big, beautiful chrome high pipes on it, buy it. That's that's going to be. And, you know, this I'm talking from kind of a, a collector standpoint here, but there are so many great bikes out there. Uh, you know, anything, any of the 70s bikes, they're relatively easy to work on. You know, these bikes came with a toolkit with the idea that you should be able to fix any problem on this bike with the toolkit that came with the the yeah that is amazing when you look back nowadays i used to always have the toolkit on my dad's xr 500 you know man anything we need just bust it up right there unzip the bag pull the pouch up oh i got it hang on you know (laughs) yeah and then um you know the any of the three cylinder bikes like the h1 h2 from kawasaki that stuff's huge all of the street bikes from Yamaha, the early 70s stuff, where they were kind of the last to the race, they were still doing two-stroke. That stuff, uh, for the longest time, everyone hated on it because it was, you know, a two-stroke 350 street bike in 71. It's like, why, when everybody else was at four-stroke? But now that stuff's exciting, and it's fast and noisy and loud, and, you know, those things got ridden so hard. So any of that stuff, like the, you know, R5, the RDs, um, Man, Kawasaki, like you said, like the KZ stuff, all of that's awesome. Uh, you know, I'm really seeing uh, 
this kind of excitement around the mid to late seventies gold wings, like the GS one thousands. Oh, wow. like you know, oh, wow. huh. it's such that's a, not, that's not a bike you're putting on the porch of your apartment, you know? Like, no, no, not at all. But they make a really cool, like they strip down really easy and they've got a big, beautiful engine on them. And so, you know, it almost looks like a car engine on this thing. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of dudes are kind of doing that to highlight it, but there's really, I, I'm telling you anything like 60s, 70s, Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki from the trail bikes. It's, it's all nostalgia. I mean, it's all cool. It's all one of a kind. It's like unmatched styling. So, you know, what's crazy, man, is watching all these different size bikes become popular. I remember when I was a kid, I could, I could get an XL or an XR. And what's crazy is all these old school dirt bikes and trial bikes that were street worthy. They had headlights and blinkers on them. And it's funny to see those things, you know, they call them enduro bikes, you know, that could live on a trail, but also on the street. I got to ask you, man, are those things popping off back in uh, a massive demand? Um, and what's hot with those? So, you guys, we got to take a break. My man Carson Allen, check it out. Foo Dog Moto on Instagram. Back with him, back with Kevin Bird. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have my boy Carson Allen on a food dog moto. Go check him out on Instagram. Follow him socially. They put everything up. Um, hey, Carson, could you explain where the name food dog came from? And then after that incredible story that will take us on a whirlwind ride, could you explain to some of the uh, people listening today um, what is the best old school trials like enduro style bike? You know, something on the one fifty. 175, 250, 350 size, uh, and what brand are you looking for? So shoot with the name. How'd you come up with that one, man? Uh, so Food Dog Motorcycles, how we came up with that name? Yeah. So I was, uh, when I was conceptualizing this brand, um, my wife had flown to Denver for uh, her our child's gender reveal party with her family. And so I'm sitting there all by myself, place is quiet. I have my 17-year-old uh, my pug on my lap, and pugs are known as a food dog. Uh, the Chinese pug. It's, it's just kind of a, a cultural thing. They call him the food dog. And so I was thinking of a name for this and I wanted, you know, I knew we were going to lose this dog soon. Sorry. I know this is kind of such a bummer story, <laughs> not around the world. But I just wanted to honor this dog that meant so much to me, man. And, uh, you know, I knew that this was going to be a, this is what I was going to pour myself into for the next, however long. And, and, uh, you know, I was thinking of a name and I'm like food dog, it represents, you know, good luck and fortune and prosperity. And, that's really why I started this to provide for my family. And, and so, you know, I, that was just my way of honoring her was food dog and it stuck. It's worked. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, it's working. It's hey. working, man. And I, I seen some of your gear, uh, t-shirts and swag and, uh, man, you got some great graphics. Uh, the name fits on it. It's, it's perfect. It's a great image and brand, uh, for, for what you're doing here and having fun. Thank you. Thank you. Now I got a question for you. Um, so Willie was asking about, uh, you know, some of these dual purpose bikes. Uh, so were they, uh, are they showing up in popularity and then maybe some of the smaller, you know, some more obscure, but kind of interesting designs, you know, like the CL 70, the Yamaha FS one, you know, they're, they're, they're down into those small ranges, but when you think Vespas, you know, there's a lot of people out there that still have a, you know, a vibe for those type of scooters. Um, you know, does this fall out of the range of what you're seeing, uh, kind of coming back in popularity. Not at all. No, we, uh, 
the the kind of multi-purpose bikes the trail you know bikes that are perfect for the trail and the street the you know the enduro is kind of the term thrown around on most of them they're still hugely popular we actually delivered today we were late to the shop because we delivered a uh, 1975 dt 250 restoration we did which is a yamaha enduro bike and i mean it's the perfect to me that's the perfect off-road on-road bike i i have one i love these motorcycles and uh you're just really seeing a, an excitement for them because there's this, I'm sure you guys know about it, the kind of like van living off the grid craze that people yeah. are doing. And these bikes are perfect for throwing in your camper, the back of your pickup and, and, you know, going, going way off into the middle of nowhere to stay, you know, a few nights, but then you can still cruise back into town and get some supplies on them. So yeah, we see tons of people doing these trail bikes still. Um, the, the, and as we get, you know, you get smaller with them, it just, it's, there's a more of an excitement because they're the bikes people started off with. They're the, you know, and then we talked <laughs> yeah. about them being more manageable. You know, you can, they're easy to store and stuff, but yeah, lots of, uh, you know, lots of dudes are still having their, their CT nineties tuned up so they can take them hunting. Cause you know, you can strap a deer to the back of that thing or drag it if you have to, and they'll, you know, they'll climb any hill or mountain and, and have your pack with them. So yeah, there's tons of, tons of uh, excitement still in the uh, enduro world the dirt bike world. It's, it's a big one. Well, that, that DT 350, you mentioned the Yamaha. I mean, it's like a scrambler, Yeah, you know, and, and the scrambler I think has been very popular. I think the last five, 10 years in sort of the new bike realm, there's a lot of trying to be retro reintroductions by the manufacturers, uh, for scramblers, Ducati, others. Um, and I think they're stealing a lot of the old styling off of those bikes you know we call them enduros or dual purpose bikes um but it's it's, it's exactly that you can do just about anything and, and you think about the space that you're in like colorado uh to be able to strap that thing onto the back of your overland rig or whatever you got you know yeah be able to go out in the middle of nowhere and still fart around you know make some cool noises have some little trail time totally i mean you you'd be surprised at how many people like come to us that want us to do a, uh, either, you know, just a tune up on their bike or update some stuff or fix some things. And you ask them, you know, what they do with it. And it's just some guy that's like, Oh, I go to the edge of my property to get my mail every day. And it's, you know, it's a part of my daily routine. This bike is, so they have these connections with this bike and it's always, you know, it's always these trail bikes or the little Enduros. And I mean, we live, you know, here in Denver to our immediate West, we have the mountains and then to the East, we have the farmlands. So there's, you know, there's, tons of use still for these uh meaty tire bikes yeah absolutely now what are some of the challenges right because you've got these you know these motorcycles scooters whatever that are 50 60 70 years old um you know what's it like trying to find good parts you just taken you know three bikes and making one is anybody making you know sort of aftermarket replacement parts are you having to fabricate up you know crazy stuff to to, to fill in some of these spaces uh you know, what, what is it like in that game now of restoring some of these that, uh, you know, they haven't had, you know, think about the hot rod world, you know, first gen Camaros and Mustangs, right? They have so much stuff. You could almost buy the whole thing out of a catalog part by part. But I assume a lot of these things are, are, are long gone from tooling and supplies. It's been a challenge, but it's been something I knew at least starting the business side of this, that I needed to really put a lot of focus and energy into was creating my network of guys so I can source these parts from. So I have a, an Excel spreadsheet where, you know, even when I was on the road playing music, 
in the van, I'd be in the back on my phone scrolling, you know, through the forums, meeting guys, like talking to them, just building this network. So I could source a part and, you know, anybody can really source a part. There's enough of everything made, but to do it in a, you know, a profitable sense where I, I need to get these bikes in here quick. You know, I can't sit on a restoration for two years or a year even. So um, it was, it's, it's been creating a network has really helped me. Um, and then uh, just my own inventory, you know, we start to see, Hey, a lot of these parts start to go faulty on the bikes after, you know, X amount of years. And so we see these commonalities and parts needing to be replaced. So I'm constantly, as much as I'm sourcing parts for an actual project, I'm sourcing parts to have on deck as well of the things that we see a lot of, you know, but Honda, the cool thing is Honda, and you're going to hear me say Honda a lot. We do all the Japanese bikes, but Honda is where our passion is, but Honda used so many of the same parts across years. So, you know, we have our database where I can plug in if I'm looking for a part and it'll tell me all the other years that that was used. So then when I go on eBay and I'm searching for something, you know, I might not find a CL350 starter, but the CV350 starter is the exact same. So searching for that, you know, it's, it's understanding like playing the internet to my advantage and, and being able to find these things. It's, like you said, you know, it's, it's why a lot of the shops don't want to touch it. Cause it's sometimes it does, you got to invest time into finding these things. But I, I love that. You know, when I'm, I laying in bed with my wife watching Netflix, I'm just scrolling through eBay, you know, trying to, what's the hardest part. What's, what's the hardest part you've ever located? Oh, so we actually just, I, I sent you a video of it. Um, we just sent home a 1965 Yamaha YDS3. It's called a Catalina 250. It was a little kind of street bike that Yamaha did. It was two stroke, but this bike came to us. It had a late sixties cafe job on it. So it was like OG cafe when it was cool. And like, I hate modern cafe jobs, but this thing was sick. So it um, just had the, the, the shift shaft for it. And dude, it took me three months to find this thing. I mean, everywhere online I was searching for it. I had, I was annoying all the groups and forums and I finally found this thing. And so far it's been the hardest part that I've, I've tracked down. So we finally sent that bike home. I mean, after we found that part, it was, it was another few hours and we got it, uh, we got it out. Hold on one, one second. <laughs> That's my, uh, my dude just fired up, a, a, a SL 350 that, uh, I mean, this restoration that was done on it's beautiful, but the guys botched the engine on it. So we had this thing come in and just did the, so that was some excitement from the team in the back. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> the so man at work, the man at work. Yes. It never stops. I saw a dirt bike the other day. I was going to, uh, ask you about an Osa. Yeah. An Osa like 125. How rare is that bike? Oh yeah, man. You don't see a ton of those and they've got a big, a big kind of cult following guys love those things. You know, I, I was asking about those enduro bikes. Why do you see so many of those popping off now? Is like a, a bike that brings and commands a lot of money. You know, those three fifties, those you know bigger enduro bikes. God, there seem like there's you can't buy them fast enough. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, I mean, you sent me a photo. You're like, oh, look at this bike I found in my back property, and it's a 1975 DT 250. It's the, I mean, to me, it's the, the, not necessarily Holy grail in like the rarest sense, but it's the most desirable. Like if you're going to, if you're going to get an enduro, get a 1975 Yamaha DT 250, the thing's amazing. But yeah, Kevin and I were talking about, they're just, 
it's the dual use. It's the, you know, people are wanting to get out in the world now and explore and get up into the mountains and just kind of, you know, hit the highways. And they're the perfect bike for that. You know, you can still go in the city or you can throw it in your pickup or strap it to the back of your camper and take it with you camping there. I think that's what the excitement is, is, you know, you, uh, a CB 350 is, is great. If you're traveling around from like, maybe, uh, I don't know, trailer court to trailer court and you got streets, but if you're up in the mountains and it's, you know, rough terrain, you want something with some meat on the tires and, and these two strokes, they get it done for you. Yeah. Amen. Now what's been maybe one of your just most amazing finds, you know, cause you're always out there, right? You're like American pickers trying to find these, you know, little golden nuggets tucked away in some barn somewhere, uh, somebody's dusty garage. What's been just, you know, a bike that just, man, fell in your lap or, you know, whether it was rare or cool or fun, uh, just something memorable. Well, we went to, uh, I got a random call from someone who I knew, um, who had lost their dad. They weren't very close with their dad, but they had lost their dad a few years before. And they said he had a property out in the middle of New Mexico and he had two vintage BMWs in a shed there. You'll rarely hear me talk about BMWs, but anything 70s BMW is absolute gold. I mean, it's, there's an insane market for it. So I hopped in the pickup and we drove to Pie Town, New Mexico. I would have never gone there if it wasn't for these bikes. And uh, yeah, we found a, uh, a 74 um, let me make sure I'm getting this right. Cause the BMW guys will blow up your thread here. If, if I say this wrong, but I think it was a 1974 R9. And this thing was amazing, man. It's uh, it's still the bike. It just gives me goosebumps. When I think about it, opening the shed, we had to cut the lock. This video is on our YouTube as well, but we had to cut the lock to open this little shed. And we just unveiled a bike that is so treasured by BMW guys, especially, but just people in the motorcycle world. So to see this thing so far away from civilization, just knowing it's just sat there it was such an amazing find so i get this thing back the girl's like this thing hasn't ran in years and years and years her dad had passed away several years before that and so i know nothing about bmws i'm seeing if i can just maybe get it to light up or something and i touch a button and the thing starts i mean the batteries on them are massive so i don't know how this still had juice so bike home accidentally get it running and then i go to clean it up and uh in the the kind of center tube which I didn't know existed on BMWs. I found a thousand dollars cash and I paid a thousand bucks for the bike. So it, it just, it just kind of wow. paid, paid for it. There's a win. Yeah. <laughs> so that bike is always, you know, it was my free first year BMW R9 and it's just absolutely amazing. You know, and I, I had, I, I did absolutely nothing to it and sold it and made a, uh, you know, a good profit for the trip and everything. But it was, uh, you know, it's one of those bikes that I'll, I'm not a gambling man, but it was a great, uh, it was a great win for me. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the slot Amen, machine man. effect, man. You can throw a lot of quarters in there, but man, you get that ding, 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 ding. And whoosh, man, it brings you back. Yeah. Yeah. Get you got there on the, on the wild road looking for the next score. Uh, it makes hey, it all worthwhile. I, I got one more question. I know it's time to wrap up, but before we go, we got to ask you about the ultimate killing machine. Uh, it's not a cat, although some would argue that that is a house cat, not a cat guy. Um, I'm talking about the almighty three-wheeler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody that's rode one of those for any amount of time has ran over their own ass in a three-wheeler. Um, <laughs> what, do, what do you see? What do you see those? Uh, I mean, obviously, those are so nostalgic. Everybody loves them. Um, are those worth anything? Oh, absolutely, dude. And like <laughs> the fact that we survived those, I mean, there's a reason they don't, there's <laughs> yeah. a reason now the three wheelers have the wheel in the back. It's like <laughs> right. you would turn 
the bike would go this way, but you, your body kept going this way. It was dude there. So Honda called him the ATC. I don't, I don't think it actually stood for anything. I always said it stood for avoid taking corners. Cause it was a death trap. Man. Yeah. ATC <laughs> 250. I've got one. It's awesome. Red, white, and blue, baby. It's great. A big excitement for those because everybody, you know, we all have scars or gravel still under the skin from those things because they were just so dangerous. So dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's, a, there's a big market for them. I actually have a little Yamaha, a little tiny shaft-driven Yamaha three-wheeler in here right now that my kids kind of claimed. But yeah, man, they're, uh, and I, you know, he's got to, he's got to learn like we all did on it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah no, the, the three-wheelers, man, there, there's a market for them and they're super cool. And and yeah, if you see them out there, buy them because they're they were death traps and they're exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what makes them so fun. How do people find you socially, man? Food Dog Moto on Instagram. Yeah, Food Dog Moto on everything. If you search Food Dog Motorcycles on Google, that'll pull up. I mean, we're literally everywhere. So we, uh, you know, even if you're not into motorcycles, we want to create entertaining content for you. At least, you know, come on our adventures with us. Pick through these barns or these sheds and stuff. And yeah, it's you know, it's we're very passionate and I think people are excited about people that are passionate about things. So there's, there's something for everyone on all of our social stuff, food dog moto or foodogmoto.com. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Some great content down there for sure. And it, it, every time you turn it on, you guys are doing something. I love the fact that you, you put a lot of it online for people to check out the finds, the builds and everything. Uh, it's just a cool, I love that you're saving these old bikes, man. So keep up the great work. Uh, again, thanks for spending the time with us. Thanks to our guests, you guys. Carson Allen, Food Dog Moto is where you need to go and find it. Um, he is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Don't forget about a TV show, Aaron Weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Also available on Motor Trend Plus, which is a great way to find us on demand. Uh, our producer, Scoop, and executive producer, Mr. Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, too, twoguysgarage.com, and we're on social all over the place. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, this Two Guys Garage podcast, it's copyrighted, 2022, Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Good stuff, Carson. It's always cool talking to you, chatting with you, man. I love what you're doing, big homie. Love it. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you guys. This means so much to me and my team. Like, again, you guys are the freaking best. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Bikes are fun, man, and you're bringing them back, so we yeah, love it. Man. Thanks again, hey, man. Grab them wherever you hey. can. If All you right, guys. Them, get them. <laughs> and we'll see you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Y'all take care. Two Guys Garage podcast is produced by Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.